You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Nobody would want to start from here, least of all the bankers. A dearth of capital, worsening loan books and a lack of funding are a horrible combination. It is little wonder they are now as desperate not to lend as they were so recently to lend. Unfortunately, if banks stop lending, they will create a depression from which everybody, including banks themselves, would suffer. The economy cannot just go cold turkey. A flow of net lending must be sustained. The starting point for any analysis must be with some harsh realities. The first is that banks enjoy a state-supported licence to create money. No strictly private business can make a credible promise to do that. Banking is a utility in which taxpayers bear much risk. Regulators have to represent the interests of these risk-bearers of last resort. Second, the regulators fail to represent those interests. UK bank assets jumped from a manageable twice-gross domestic product in 2001 to almost 4.5 times by 2008. According to a report from London-based Smithers & Co., median leverage in UK banking is 33 to 1, with a range from 18 to 60. These, then, are undercapitalized hedge funds with liabilities large enough to destroy the solvency of the British state. What on earth were the authorities thinking? The third, the views of the bankers themselves and what should be done are of small interest. Bankers have huge conflicts of interest, not only inside their organizations but vis-a-vis the public. It is, above all, in their interest to privatize the benefits of public guarantees. They are very good at this, too. Fourth, what now makes sustaining net lending so hard is the past reliance on wholesale funding, especially in the housing market. Between 2000 and 2007, the total outstanding amounts of UK residential mortgage-backed securities rose from £13 billion to £257 billion, with a net increase of £78 billion in 2006 alone. As Sir James Crosby notes in his final report on mortgage finance for the Treasury, Securitized borrowing, much of it financed by yield-seeking dollar-based investors, has since collapsed. Lenders will have to live with, I quote, little or no access to asset-backed funding through 2008 to 2010, together with having to cope with in excess of £160 billion of redemptions over the same period, end of quotation. Finally, while it is necessary to avoid a collapse in the balance sheets of the lenders, a way must also be found to reduce the size of these balance sheets, or at least the exposure of the British state and economy to them in the longer term. So what is now to be done? We have to start with what the authorities have rightly been doing. Cut interest rates, provide liquidity, recapitalise banks, and guarantee at least some liabilities. Yet one then hits a big dilemma. Should one focus on saving particular markets, in residential mortgage-backed securities, for instance, or on promoting particular lending, for housing, for example. Sir James assumes that the answer to both questions must be yes. Indeed, his mandate virtually compelled him to make this assumption. Yet it is quite likely that a market in residential mortgage-backed securities is just unworkable. Equally, the merit of promoting home ownership is greatly exaggerated. Moreover, it is still not evident that the housing market is overshooting on the way down. On the FT housing index, prices are still only at the levels of November 2006. They may have a great way further to fall. 
Mrs. Smithers argues it is sufficient to provide enough equity to allow banks, indeed force banks, to write doubtful loans to a level so low that profits would subsequently re-emerge. This would require substantially more equity injection and the possible disappearance of all pre-existing equity capital. The idea is right. In the long run, it would also surely work. Yet the current shortage of loanable funds surely needs to be dealt with. There are three emergency options. The first is to channel money via the Bank of England. The second is to auction government guarantees for a range of bank lending and not just mortgage lending. The last is outright nationalisation. I would try the second. If it failed, I would temporarily try the last. I would not rely on the bank alone. It has no comparative advantage in making credit judgments. True, the banks may not be very good at this either, but they are what the country has. Meanwhile, the government needs to stop its populist demands that banks lower interest rates on lending in line with Bank of England rates. Banks have to attract more deposits to replace lost wholesale funds, so they must pay a reasonable return to savers. They also need to widen spreads to restore profitability despite higher capital ratios. The biggest challenge by far, however, is getting through the extended period of emergency support to a more sustainable structure. The exposure of taxpayers must ultimately be reduced, regulation overhauled, and the banking system separated into the domestic utility and the investment banking casino. Moreover, all this must be done while putting the UK economy into a more sustainable structural position with higher private savings, a smaller fiscal deficit and a current account surplus. Nobody would start from here, yet it is where the government stewardship, a housing mania and a banking frenzy have left the UK. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.